Today I was on my uh, Audible listening again to how Europe underdeveloped Africa, a, a truly transformative experience. I think a lot of people know that we had a big event on February, March 17th. Uh, that was pretty incredible, February 17th. And that we had uh, uh, Patricia Rodney, Asha Rodney, and well, uh, Robin D.G. Kelly, Channing Martinez, uh, Ashley Henderson, Jamala Rogers, uh, Imani Countess from the U.S. Africa Bridge Building Contest, uh, and uh, uh, Akuna Uka, who's one of our members. So we invested about three months in a truly transformative experience. We're very happy to tell you that this Saturday, March 26th, will be the continuation of the Walter Rodney Symposium, which is an annual event. We're very lucky uh, to have Sharice Burton Stelly with her. If I read her whole bio, which would be a great show, um, that would be the show. But I do want to talk about, uh, just for a minute, uh, the... Uh, Book you're working on now, Black Scare, Red Scare, Anti-Blackness, Anti-Communism, The Rise of Capitalism in the United States, because if you went into our bookstore, you would see William L. Patterson and Louise Thompson Patterson and our mutual friend Claudia Jones, and uh, they all lived there. And uh, when I ended my tribute to Walter, I said, you should come. Walter lives at night in our bookstore, among many other places, where he hangs around with Mao and Lenin and the Pattersons and then Kwame Nkrumah. So in that context, thanks for your very impressive work. Tell us about the symposium and the role you're playing in it. Yes, of course. So first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I just want to give a little bit, a tiny bit of uh background context on the Walter Rodney Foundation and on the symposium, if you don't mind. But so um, the symposium is being put on by the Walter Rodney Foundation, which was formed by the Rodney family, primarily uh, Asha, Kanini, Shaka, and uh, Patricia Rodney in 2006. And it's located in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a 501c3 nonprofit. And essentially, it's committed to sharing the life and works and the experience of Dr. Walter Rodney with students, scholars, organizers, and community members around the world. And so in 2004, the Walter Rodney Foundation started the annual symposium, which is either held in Atlanta, Georgia, or virtually. So for the past few years, it's been held um, virtually due to the pandemic. This year, it will also be virtual. And essentially, this is meant to, oh, it's always held um, during the week of Walter Rodney's birthday, which is March 23rd. 
And so um, the goal of the symposium is to bring together scholars, researchers, activists and organizers, students and community members to discuss um, contemporary issues from a Rodney's perspective. And so it is always global in scope, it includes global membership. Um, it brings together a, a bunch of different ideological pers uh, persuasions, much to my chagrin sometimes, <laughs> I would like it, it was all left wing, uh, but it's great to hear how all of these different peoples are, are deeply engaging with Rodney's, uh, his work and his, his legacy. So this is the 19th annual symposium. And it is gonna be held on Sunday, March 26th, as you said, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern. And the keynote speaker is Joyce Ladner. So Joyce Ladner is a giant in her own right. She uh, was a SNCC organizer. Um, she is a sociologist and a sociologist professor, uh, now retired, and she met the Rodneys in Tanzania and maintained a close relationship with Dr. Patricia Rodney. So she'll be doing the keynote. Um, the, yes, we also have Vijay Prashad. He's like the distinguished speaker who will be doing a sort of a, a, a smaller talk on how Europe underdeveloped Africa at 150, and that will be followed by um, a panel discussing Rodney's legacy. And then there'll be another panel prior to the How Europe Underdeveloped Africa panel, there'll be another panel on um, Narere at 100 and Rodney at 80. Um, and so the speakers in the symposium will include um, Issa Shivji, Kamal Franklin, who is a really uh, renowned community organizer in Atlanta, Georgia, Dr. Tamanisha John, who is an amazing political scientist and international relations scholar and a star on Twitter, <laughs> follow her on Twitter, um, and a bunch of other amazing speakers, including the Rodney family. There will be global remembrances, so people sending in videos from around the world about Rodney's legacy to them. Um, myself, so I personally will be serving as the host for the first section of the symposium, which is Dr. Uh, Joyce Ladner's keynote. So I will be sort of uh, giving a brief introduction to that, that section as well as moderating the Q&A. So a small role, but doing lots behind the scenes. Well, Channing does a lot in front, but Channing does, we all do a lot behind the scenes. And behind the scenes is where the action's at. Exactly. Right? I mean, that, <laughs> that's where the magic is made. <laughs> that's where the magic is made. People don't know that. Uh, we appreciate that a lot. So this is going to be some spectacular. That's the point of it all. But let me ask you a question. Uh, so, well, let's give our listeners again. You're going to go on the Walter Rodney Foundation site. Tell us the times again. It's 10 a.m. Yes, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern. Eastern. Okay. Yes. Um, and the link is on the website. Yes, the link is on the website. So the website is www.walterrodneyfoundation.org. And on the homepage, you'll see the flyer pop up with the link to register. But the link to register is bit.ly backslash, um, I think it's, sorry, it's like WRS 2022. Let me look up for sure. It's something like that. Sure. Yeah, it's bit.l. Hold on just one second. I should know this off the top of my head, but I, okay, it's it's bit. <laughs> okay, so bit.ly slash WRS 2022. You got it. That was great. That was impressive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you a question because you're saying about, you know, the different ideological interpretations of Rodney. Um, I'm always struck by say, you know, there's no such thing as history, there's only the struggle over historical interpretation. So tell me your ideological conclusions 
from the study of Walter Rodney and what are you trying to apply today through his lens and of course through your own which you're evolving. Yeah, so I actually identify as a Rodneyist, which is like, I guess, a shorthand for Black Marxist, but essentially it is a sort it's Marxist Leninism. But my locus of enunciation is like the Negro question, much like Rodney's locus of enunciation was uh, pan, uh, the Black world writ large, but specifically Guyana. Like, if you look at his historical materialism or his dialectical materialism, it's very much rooted in his Guyanese experience as well as his his Pan Africanism. And so, I think that so as a Rodneyist, you take Marxism, Leninism, and stretch it in the Fanonian sense to a, to address the sort of contextual, historical, and geopolitical or geospatial realities. And so, for example, I th I'm thinking a lot with Walter Rodney right now in terms of anti-imperialism and radical peace activism and anti-capitalism, specifically um, how to have a sort the sort of right or correct analysis of the Ukraine situation, for example, right? And to, and to prioritize dialectical materialism and not sort of a subjective or an idealist analysis. So we can feel however we want, we can have our own perceptions or perspectives, but there is there are objective correlation of forces in, in any given sort of phenomena, right? And so I think that Walter Rodney was really serious about that. And he was really serious about um, scientific socialism, right? And so this was his crit critique, for example, of like African socialism or of forms of, communalism that bended toward idealism and that reproduced sort of class domination. And so I think trying to take Rodney seriously means really um, analyzing class antagonism, imperialism, as well as um, peace. So for me, peace is really, really big. I'm a member of the Black Alliance for Peace. And peace is not the absence of conflict, but rather the end of colonial, imperial, and capitalist domination and the sort of struggle toward a world with people-centered human rights as the focal point. So I get all of that from reading uh, many of Rodney's texts, not least how Europe underdeveloped Africa. Danny, I'm gonna call on you in a minute. So take your, your uh, mute off. Um, I, I feel like I wanna to respond to every sentence you do positively, by the way, but even just to say, uh, so it just doesn't lay there, that I'm very upset about the Russian invasion of the Ukraine as a tactic. But I'm mainly upset about how European countries don't get identified as the murderers that they are. Um, you know, that if you read how Europe undeveloped Africa, how in the hell can NATO have any sense of righteousness when it's built on slavery and genocide? Then you don't even care about the 26 million Soviets who give their lives to defeat fascism. And you certainly don't care that Russia is encircled by NATO and plans to destroy it. We do. Is that correct? Is that a similar? That is correct. You certainly don't uh, care about the 8,000 uh, ethnic Russians who have been murdered over the past, since the 2014 coup in the right. Donbass region. And so it's, it's, that's subjectivism. You pick and choose which atrocities and which contraventions of sovereignty you want to focus on and don't get to the root cause, which is absolutely what we call in Black Alliance for Peace, the US, EU, NATO axis of domination. If we are not critiquing that, we're not being serious. And this is to not rationalize or legitimate um, Russian actions or Russian invasion, but rather if we really care about peace, if we really care about a real critique of imperialism, that is where we need to start. We can even start with Yugoslavia if you really want to be, if we really want to take it all the way. But I think that's what Rodney teaches us is to be serious. 
to be scientific and to be dialectical in our analysis? Well, just to tell you, and, and uh, we have this National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing that is trying to bring the very worldview that you talked about into the organizing space because it still can live a little bit in academia in the best sense. But I'm telling you, on the field, as Channing is talking about, uh, forget about Marxism-Leninism, we can't get people to challenge the Democratic Party. So in, in that context, Channing Martinez, tell us about the impact of, tell us a little about who you are, and then tell us about the impact of Walter Rodney on your present work and thinking. Sure. So Channing Martinez, I, I'm almost about to say he, him. I'm so used to introducing myself in Zoom meetings. <laughs> uh, Channing Martinez, obviously the director of organizing at the Strategy Center. You know, um, I've said it a few times, I keep bragging because it really is great. I got to read the first chapter of how Europe underdeveloped African beliefs, and it is so key and it's such a difference between reading it here in the United States, because you see the post-colonialism and neo-colonialism happening right in your face as you're reading the very words on the page. But I think what's complicated is that unless if you're a very well-trained organizer here in the United States, it's really hard to see what neo-colonialism looks like and plays out like in the United States. And so even for me as an advanced organizer, I've been trained by the Strategy Center, obviously. Reading the book in Belize actually helped me to under, even, even understand the structure of neocolonialism even further, right? Because Belize is still at a certain stage, right, of development or underdevelopment, really. Um, but having that analysis and coming back to the United States has helped to even broaden our analysis of what's going on in Los Angeles, right? Which is, you know, a lot of the elected officials are, in a sense, the upkeepers of neocolonialism, right? It's not necessarily that they, and in some situations they are, but it's not necessarily that they themselves are carrying out the genocide, in some cases they are, but it is the sense that all of the corporations are carrying out the genocide and they're assisting them and they're not standing in their way. Um, and so that analysis and bringing that to the streets has been helpful for people to understand that it's not just that we want better buses. It's not just that we want service uh, to stop the service cuts. It's that all of these tactics are larger tactics within the colonialization of our Black community, right? And figuring out how to push Black people out of every space, right? It's all part of a system. Yeah, absolutely. If I could just respond, just as an African-American, the neocolonialism is everywhere. Kamala Harris is neocolonialism. This Supreme Court here, or the Supreme Court justice confirmation happening right now with the first Black woman on the Supreme Court is neocolonialism in action. And you're right. They don't have to have the gun. Sometimes they literally do have the guns or they sort of do the funding for the guns. As we see, they strict they stripped 13.6 in COVID relief from, uh, you know, the bill, but then send that same money to for, for tranches of weapons on top of the billions they've already sent to Ukraine. That is neocolonialism. And, the, and, even, and even the ones who do, are not on the, who are not sort of directly 
who we who we don't associate with directly with the genocide are actually the worst because they are the ones who are legitimating the system. We think that if there's a few chips in the cookie, then it's okay because it's not baldly white supremacists, then it's okay, right? And it's like black girl magic, girl boss, like black luxury, black excellence, that is neocolonialism in action. And it serves to pull the wool over our eyes so we don't struggle, right? Because we have a history of not airing our dirty laundry, but that's not our dirty laundry. Like, you know, that is. That is straight up imperialism and neocolonialism. And like, we have to be serious about that fact. And we have to be able to, as you're saying though, as organizers, give this to our people, meet them where they're at, right? Because white supremacy is real and it can feel like a, a real win to have a black person, you know, black faces in high places. But when we show that there ain't no trickle down justice, there's no trickle down redistribution that's the way to show like it doesn't matter if there's black people in power if they're not doing anything for you they are not for you period and in fact they're helping negotiate the terms of your immiseration so Ashe. well speaking of that was great channing just tell a little bit more about our campaign with uh holly mitchell and with stephanie wiggins and the the nuances of what we're trying to do stephanie wiggins is the ceo of the mta and uh, Holly Mitchell is a black elected official with some very good liberal credentials. But we've been trying to bring a movement to say, and we say this, Therese, stop MTA genocide against the black nation. And we say it at meetings intelligently and thoughtfully about how the arrest of all the black people on the trains at 50, 60%, the black codes, no eating, no drinking, no anything, uh, is driving Black people off public transportation, driving them out of the city down to 8% Black, that was 25% Black. So, Channing, why don't you talk about the, the nuances of talking to Black people about a Black elected officials and what we are trying to do? Sure. Um, well, that was a good summary. <laughs> I'll first say that. Um, but, you know, to, to both of your points, a lot of black folks, you know, they they are very grateful for black elected officials and they have every right to be. I don't want to take that away from black folks, right? Um, and we have every we have every right to come to black elected officials and ask them to do things and do so respectfully. It doesn't mean that we disrespect their uh, their what is it, ability to be in that position. But it's an ongoing problem in the black community. Folks were afraid to call on President Obama to do anything, even though, as an example, President under President Obama's administration, the military weapons going and flowing into municipal police departments increased threefold by 300% under a Black president, right? So, you know, the bus rising union fight is obviously a longer fight. Um, that has been going on for the last 15 to 20 years, right? And now we're, we're realizing that even for the last 15 years, every single year, Black folks have been 50% of the tickets and 50% of the rest on public transit. Every year, the elected officials act as if they're surprised. How is it possible that Black people are still 50% of the tickets and they're acting as if it's a new incident? So the intricacy is that we're calling on Holly Mitchell and calling on CEO Stephanie Wiggins as the two Black main board members on the board that can actually bring change, right? And even before we got there, right, in December, 
we simply said, will you go to the MTA board and just say we have a problem and what are we going to do about it? Just acknowledge that there is a problem um, as opposed to doing a thing here, doing a thing there. Maybe we'll repeal this one uh, uh, code inside the black codes, or maybe we'll give free public transportation to students, but not their parents that are paying four times more their, their, uh, the price of students, right? We're saying, you have an anti-Black problem, and will you even acknowledge it? Um, and both of them, both Stephanie Wiggins, CEO Stephanie Wiggins, and Supervisor uh, Holly Mitchell agreed that they would go to the board and acknowledge the problem. No surprise that in December, we went to the board and they acted as if Black people weren't even on the trains and buses. Um, and so we're calling on them to keep their promise. Um, and that using that as a further extent, I'm sorry, using that as a next step to figure out how do you then get the Metro to stop all of its anti-Black policies? Well, it's interesting. Oh, please. Go ahead. No, please. You go ahead, Sharice. Just what I was thinking, you know, what I was thinking about is it's also, it's not, my one of my issues with the sort of anti-Blackness discourse can be the sort of ontological way it's specified. But what we're talking about is anti-Black racial oppression. Right. And the, the foundation of anti-Black racial oppression is actually poverty, right? And so it's not all Black. And this is the other thing about putting pressure on Black elected officials. It's acknowledging the class stratification within our communities and that it is poor Black people that are being arrested. It is poor Black yeah. people whose behavior is being criminalized and managed. And this and the, the you know this bus question is really important now because of inflation and because of the astronomically high gas prices, especially in California. And so that's effectively a Black tax. If it is that Black people don't have access to public transportation and are being criminalized for being on public transportation. That's right. Con that's a way to concretize the inflation problem is that public transportation belongs to the people. And when you are criminalized for taking advantage of public resources, and then you're having to use your car if you have one and then pay $5 a gallon for gas, that is effectively a black tax on top of the fact that you're pushed out of the city. So you have to get more gas to pay more, you know? And so I think that that's a really, really important issue for a number of reasons, but the class the class basis of anti-Blackness, I think is really important or anti-Black racial oppression is really important to note. Otherwise, you know, we get mad about Brittany Griner, for example, being arrested in Russia, which is a big deal, but then we don't care about the oppression and suffering of regular Black people next right. to you, right next to you in your neighborhood because they're not famous and there's no clout in advocating for them. So I'm pontificating, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's really <laughs> no, important. <that's> great. <laughs> no, you're preaching. So uh, we can sit out a good word. Um, you know, one thing I'll say, Sharice, is that, you know, you should come to LA and we'd love to come to Carlton sometime because we're on the street every day talking to people. That's what we do. And because you're, you know, like when I was walking around on my walks and somebody say, hey, come on and see my store. They said, we know you, we see you, come on in. Uh, we're part of this community. We're at King and Crenshaw in, in South LA, South Central LA. We have a beautiful strategy and soul movement center with a bookstore and a film theater. And we can talk to people about this. They trust us. They know we're on their side. Uh, I voted for Obama twice because I did not want to tell black people I didn't vote for Obama. But saying I voted for him, in my opinion, allowed me to also say, so now can we hold him accountable? And they were going, well, 
but then it'll make the black president look bad. I said, but your life is looking bad. You know, uh, <laughs> it's, it's we're asking him to help you. And it took some work to get the, yeah, that's a good point, huh? Yeah, I should take on a black, not take on, we're saying, will you call on President Obama to do the right thing? So the tone is really nuanced and we try to figure it out. But the main thing I wanted to say is everything you said analytically, really, uh, you'd love to come to our bookstore and come to meet because we feel like you're a kindred spirit, obviously. And uh, you have a lot to say and a lot to teach. So we'd like to figure out how you could maybe be in the next one of the next events from the National Leadership School and you know talk more about your ideas because you got a lot of great ideas. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know like I am I am so I don't call myself an organizer. I just joined an organization like two years ago, but I know that like my politics are for the already converted. Like I preach to the choir, but we can't underestimate preaching to the choir. We got to keep the, we have to keep our own analysis up because we first, for example, we're seeing a lot of confusion on the left about the Ukraine situation, for example. And so like, and you know, I'm an academic, so I can be a little bit abstract sometimes, but anyway, I would love to come and talk and, and ground and build with folks. Cause I, you know, I'm always, I, I love kindred spirits. There's like seven, seven of us. <laughs> so, well, I don't know, maybe 700, well, I don't know. Well, the, <laughs> the thing, listen, the thing that is absolutely crazy is when I teach organizing, I say, you know, they always say, don't preach to the choir. But let me ask you, who are the best people in the church? Who are the most committed people? Who have the best voices? Who are the best? If the choir is the church, and you expand from there. So we believe in cadre. And we, the, so I, anyway, the, just everything you're saying, I'm going dang, 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 dang. Which doesn't mean we don't have a lot to learn from you. I'd love to learn more about all the written work. We'd like to learn a, a particular thing we'd like to talk to you about in the future is Claudia Jones. Um, yes. I'm new to her, meaning three or four years ago. My friend wrote a book called Black International Feminism. If you know Cheryl Higashida. Cheryl Higashida. Mm -hmm. Right. And there was a chapter in there about Claudia Jones, and I was transformed. So we have two of her books in the, you know, to the left of Karl Marx and uh, Containment, is it? But yeah, Claudia Jones beyond containment. That's yeah, Carol Boyce Davies. You got to get her out. She's amazing. One of my mentors. Amazing, okay. brilliant thinker. Anyway. Well, 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 just like we did something for Walter, let's do an event for Claudia Jones. And yes, I Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Okay. What yeah. a pleasure. All right. What a pleasure. Um, can we just call this chapter one? Yes, I will be back. I will happily come back anytime we can have a broader, wider ranging discussion. I just wanted to center the uh, the symposium and how Europe underdeveloped Africa for this discussion. But yes, I'm happy to come back and chat and to figure out how to get out to L.A. anytime. So uh, this has been a pleasure. It really has been a pleasure, Channing. And again, just for folks listening, the Walter Rodney Symposium, I'm sorry, the Walter Rodney Foundation will be holding the Walter Rodney Symposium on March 26, 2022 at 10 a.m. Eastern time. You can visit walterrodneyfoundation.org or visit voicesfromthefrontlines.com and all of the information, including the registration link will be right there for you.
All right, as we always say at the end of our show, you may get tired of it, but we never do. All power to the people. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement building show. You can listen to this show and all previous shows on our website at www.voicesfromthefrontlines.com. Voices from the Front Lines is live broadcasted every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time on KPFK Pacifica 90.7 FM. You can also listen to Voices from the Front Lines on Tuesdays from anywhere around the world at kpfk.org. Every show is posted to our website and posted to everywhere where you can find podcast sites. Check out the Voices from the Front Lines podcast on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Music.